You're listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author Sarah Box, where you get the inside scoop on the steps action takers and decision makers take to align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and life. We focus on the mantra, no labels, no limits, no excuses. Each week, you'll hear from remarkable guests who have overcome challenges and obstacles to succeed in the face of adversity. By listening to their stories, you'll get practical tips, tools, and resources you can implement today to bust through your own internalized prisons of worry and doubt. And now, without further ado, please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart, Sarah Box. Welcome to this episode of the No Labels, No Limits podcast, a podcast all about helping action takers and decision makers like you align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and life. Hi, I'm Sarah from Sarah Box Coaching and Consulting. I'm a change agent, former executive director and best-selling author of The Changemaker Ripple Effect, a book about how one person's drive, purpose, and boldness can impact thousands. And I'm here to tell you that the life you want is possible with the right support, mindset, and strategy. We're going to hear more about that on today's podcast. So today's podcast, we're going to be joined by Cher Downing. Cher is an experienced executive in the education technology field, which we will refer to throughout as EdTech, providing expertise in the areas of strategic planning, positioning for online programs and institutional corporate training expansion, mentoring for startups, and coaching for ed tech professionals. Over the past three decades, Shares created powerful, cost-effective training education programs using cutting-edge technology for top-ranked programs in higher education, corporate, and nonprofit agencies. So that's a wide breadth of experience. She has also, though, collaborated to create new educational delivery methods and has served as a private consultant for global corporations designing specialized degree and training programs. She helps connect and support talent with the types of technology to support the ed tech industry. So in today's episode, you'll hear how graduating from the FBI Citizens Academy benefited her professional work, made her a powerful asset in coaching, consulting, and guiding teams to support talent in the ed tech industry, and the lessons that anyone who tackles complex and sometimes confusing issues can benefit from learning. In fact, she's going to reveal to you how she's helping education adapt to our remote environment that has just come upon us. So she'll reveal also how you can get a 30-minute free career consultation, which will be particularly helpful for contract employees, women in technologies, and educators struggling to gain traction in the industry. So now let's welcome our guest, Cher Downing. Hi, Cher. Hi, Sarah. Thank you for having me on today. Oh, it's great to have you on the show. Now, before we dive in, the audience and I want to know what is one non-negotiable ritual you do every day that keeps you heading towards your big vision? So this is something I started late in life, but I journal every day and it can be as short as two or three sentences. It can be a page. I just let my mind go and I put in there what was important about the day or what I hope to achieve, anything that I'm concerned about or thinking about, even sometimes just random things that pop 
in that I, I want to save for later. But I have found journaling to be very, very effective. And when I go back and read them, although they're sometimes hilarious, it really does help me keep moving forward. What is something surprising that you've learned maybe just even this year in reviewing what you've written? I've learned that the drive that I had in the traditional job sector moved over as a consultant. And that's not always possible. When you work in the eight to five format, as long as I did, sometimes it's hard to do it on your own. And I really have found that when I look back, all of the little nuances and things that I do every day as a private consultant, the growth has been just phenomenal in what I do for my business. And I find that I am just as, if not more driven, and it's not as a monetary value, it's as a personal reflection and work value. That's interesting because you're being intrinsically driven then. Absolutely. And you can see that pattern when you write down the things that you've done because you often just, you know, ignore them. You don't consider them big things. If you don't do a big project, if you don't do something that's really meaningful. But if you look back, all of a sudden you're like, wow, I really am doing a lot. And I'm doing things that are, are resulting in something else, whether that's networking, connectivity, something that gets pushed out either in social media, maybe you're even just finally tackling social media, which I know is still a really hard struggle for a lot of people to get involved in, uh, especially for their business. They know they need to do it, but they're not really excited about doing it. All of a sudden you realize you're just kind of habit forming without really thinking about it. And did that get reinforced from you by the energy it creates for you? Absolutely. It was interesting. I would send out a, you know, a short tweet or I would put something in LinkedIn, even just responding to something and people would start to push it forward. And I was like, hmm, that's kind of interesting. Or they would ask a question and I would have to respond and that would just kind of continually organically grow. But even just doing something for myself, something that I did in my office that made the next project easier. You know, I developed a checklist. I created a better way to track a project. I added software. Whatever I did, because I wrote down and now I look back on it and I'm like, wow, that really did make a difference. So you never know what you find when you go forward in your journal. And it also just helps you solidify that every day is meaningful. Every day you are important. You are getting something done. And so even at your worst time, you can look back on it and go, I've had really good days. And that's important. You know what, if nothing else, that's the value of documenting stuff. Absolutely. So will you start by talking a little bit about the call you were on this morning? So for folks, to, I don't know when folks will actually be listening to this. It'll, it should be pretty soon, but someone may be coming on binge listening to stuff in the future. <laughs> so just for folks as to ground, we are now in like the second or third day where the, the nation and other countries are also asking people to work remote more, more than often stopping the number of people who gather in close spaces. And so Cher, can you talk about your training that you did, the space you were in and the challenges being faced in that arena? Absolutely. So this morning I did a Zoom recording and I'll continue doing them uh, over the next few weeks and reaching out to folks as well. My company works with people in all over in the ed tech space in a variety of things, but I'm also a faculty member and have been for a number of years at different institutions. And so I have, my experience and my credentials are in online learning. So for me to move a class from face-to-face -face into the online environment, pretty quick and easy for me. I've been trained on how to properly train online. I know what results in quality online. So it's not a big deal. But what we're talking about right now is we're over 75 universities right now nationwide that are moving classes to the online environment for 
anywhere from two to six weeks. So we have schools that are saying, you're not returning from spring break next week. Your classes will be online. You're not coming back to campus. And we don't know how long that's going to last. So suddenly, you know, faculty have been gathered and supported to move all of their materials. What they haven't been supported in is what I term the soft skills side, which is what do you do if you've had no formal training? So this is like saying, we're going to take you overseas and we're going to put you in a car because you know how to drive in the U.S., but suddenly now you're in London and everybody drives on the other side. Good luck. You really don't know the nuances of what they expect there. So this morning I reached out and really as a community sense to say, I understand that you need help and these are things you need to think about. Your students that come into your classroom every week, many of them are going home. Parents are concerned right now, and when we get concerned, we want family close. So students went home maybe for the break. Students maybe went home because parents called, and suddenly they're in a location where maybe they don't have technology, maybe they don't have good Wi-Fi access. We don't know if they took their laptop with them when they left school for break or their textbooks. I would assume for most students, probably wasn't the first thing that they packed. I'm going to guess that they took fun stuff and was planning on going on a trip and taking that stuff with them was the last thing on their mind. They figured when I get back, my stuff will be in the dorm. So the problem now is many of them aren't going to be allowed back on campus, so they have no access. So faculty need to recognize that that's going to be a problem. Faculty are also going to need to recognize that these are students who didn't purposely choose to take an online class and maybe have never taken one. So they're going to need to have a different level of understanding. And also faculty are going to need to be flexible. Due dates, assignments, all of those types of things are going to have to be changed and massaged a little bit over the next few weeks. And the biggest thing of all is that faculty are available. You can stand in your classroom and you can shout out to the class that, hey, I'll be online, you know, I'll have office hours on Friday if you need me. In the online environment, you have to not only tell people when you're available, how you're available, where they get a hold of you, what time zone you're in, again, in case your students go home and they live in a different time zone, and when you're not available. Students know if they email you after 10 o'clock and you've said you're not available, that okay, you're going to answer me tomorrow. It's going to be a day. So that's fine. It gives them that comfort and it lessens their anxiety. We talked about giving them a bulleted list and letting them know just basics so that they have something to refer to and they don't have anxiety and you don't get hit with the same email questions over and over and over again. So it's really about, for anyone, whether it's online teaching, online training, your private business suddenly now isn't going to be open. How do they get a hold of you? What are you going to offer online? How are you going to do that? Is it going to be different? If you're selling a product and I can now call you or email you, I know that you're going to have to take a TBPS. You're going to have to ship it to me the old-fashioned way. How long is that going to take? Are you able to get out and go to UPS where you're at? Maybe you are, maybe you aren't. There's just a lot of uh, humanistic considerations that really have to be looked at. And so this morning, the video was all about talking with them about handling their target audience and, and how they're going to deal with that, but also taking care of themselves. A quick example of that is if you have three classes you're teaching, they've all been moved online, you need to look at the due dates for papers or projects. Don't have them all on the same day and suddenly you're inundated with, you know, 175 things you need to do. Scatter them. 
get it so that you can grade one set, return one class, shift to the next class? Is it even something that, that is a required piece? You know, look at the materials and the topic you have left between now and the end of the term. Is it something you absolutely have to cover? Is it necessary? If not, change how you do it. Change where, where they look at things. I looked recently, oh, about an hour ago, there's 12 museums in the nation that are offering virtual tours. Can you have them go do something like that instead and maybe give a posting of what they learned or what they saw and how it fits into the material you're talking about? Again, lots of thinking outside of the box, lots of flexibility, benefits both the person who's facilitating, whether that's a faculty member or a trainer, benefits the students, and then also just gives you an opportunity to think about, okay, what's next? How do I keep moving forward ahead of them until we know the crisis is over? I've been thinking a lot about this just because there is that sense of panic, right? People are really worried. What are we going to do? And there was a part of me yesterday, I was thinking, you know what? Personally, I think there may be some opportunities here. So I'm imagining I'm one of the people you were talking to this morning, right? And you just gave me permission to think about teaching differently. I don't have yes. to teach the same curriculum in the same way. And potentially when I go back and when things go back to their old or more familiar way of being, I may totally have revamped how I teach and am able to better engage people anyway. Exactly. Even though that may not have been the intent, I was just trying to survive as a teacher. At the time, <laughs> right? like I just want to make sure my students make it through, that they're doing well. So I just think whether someone's a teacher listening to you or a business owner, there's always that chance when these things happen, disruptions happen, right? Mm -hmm. To question, are we doing things because they're habitual to do? Or are we doing them because they're actually driving us to the ends we're seeking? And potentially there may be a new um, way of doing it that comes up that is much more beneficial for both the students and the teachers or the organization and their clients and customers. So that's kind of exciting to me. It is. It is. It's changing the mindset. The, the advantage is, is that for the naysayers of distance education, online learning, whatever you want to call it, all of a sudden now are kind of being forced in the arena. And it doesn't mean they're going to adopt it and it doesn't mean they're going to love it, but they're going to start to see that there is opportunities to do things a different way. The disadvantage is, is that someone will, by fall, say, oh, I taught online last spring, so I know everything. I know how to do it. And there's a quality aspect, as with anything. We have to control the quality issue so that students are still getting what they need to. And obviously, a course that's designed from the get-go versus one that's just kind of mushed together and, and tossed out there uh, is a little bit different. Different, but it should prompt some thinking of how do I have conversations differently with people, whether they're students or clients. I saw this morning, there's a, a group that normally meets for breakfast. They chose not to do that. And what they did instead was they had uh, what they termed a Brady Bunch meeting. So they were on Zoom. You could see everyone. Everyone had to have breakfast with them just like they would normally have breakfast. That was kind of the caveat. So you could see people with plates of food and bagels and coffee. And it was fascinating. I, I went because I wanted to see what they were going to do. And so the person running it didn't run it. What she did was she said, okay, we're going to do just like we do every morning. Who wants to start? And people started talking and people started hopping in and out of the conversation. And it was just like they were sitting around a table. When it got done, I reached out to her and I said, so what did you think? And she said, I'm thinking we need to do this once a month because our attendance has been going down because people are so busy. 
but their attendance was up this morning because it was pretty easy to walk into your, your home office or your living room or your dining room table and you need to eat breakfast anyway. You're going to have coffee regardless. And you sat through the meeting, you got something out of it, went about your day. So, you know, she's now rethinking, maybe we don't need to meet face to face every week, each month. Now there's something new and different. And then she was even, she kind of started going off about, well, and maybe, maybe we could appoint like one person a week to bring a topic. And, you know, all of a sudden her mind just opened and she was like, I just had never thought of it this way. I thought we had to be together to really enjoy each other. She said, and it's not that we don't want to get together. She said, but boy, am I seeing a new light. And I think we're going to see that for a lot of things. Tired of feeling stuck and ending with the same result? Want to know how Sarah can help you with one-on-one or organizational coaching? Then book your free discovery call at sarahbox.com forward slash contact. Now back to the show. I think when those things happen, and maybe you could speak more about this, because I think it also may affect the industry you're in and the people you're trying to help too, right? Part of it's a comfort thing and a mindset thing. But boy, when that gets opened up and then all of a sudden these other possibilities come in, it feels very liberating. But have you always thought like that? I mean, I'm interested in how your time at the FBI Academy may have shaped how you approach things or filter things, if it had any impact at all. So I've had a very, what I term, interesting and luxurious career. I came into online learning in the early 90s, and that's when it really started. Sadly, I can say that I'm old enough to have been on 1.0 for all of the softwares and big companies that are out there now. I've actually outlived some of them who have been merged or you know acquired by somebody. But one of the things that I learned early on was we didn't know what we didn't know. And so we could try and fail. And it was okay. Normally, you don't get allowed failure. We're a society that expects great things and we expect always success. And nobody knew anything about online learning. So failure still meant we were doing something. We were still trying something. One of my colleagues that we were the NASA of learning. We didn't know what we didn't know with the space program. And so as long as we were doing something in it, everyone was excited. So, you know, fast forward and uh, I got the opportunity to go through the FBI Citizens Academy, which really teaches you not only about what the FBI does and their purpose, but it also exposes you to a little bit of how their training goes. And so you start to really understand looking at things a little bit differently. You start to understand where the role the media plays versus the reality of, of what the you know information that comes in. You start to understand how they look at the world globally long before the rest of us were looking at it globally and how one thing can impact something else. Where's the domino effect that as a citizen, you don't always see that. They're behind the scenes doing things. And so when you see that final outcome on TV, you're like, oh my gosh, you know, they've known about these things for a long time and they've been following things and tracing things. But there's also the technology side, which is the things that they've done for years, they've always been a step ahead. And so that technology has fit into how they train their own people and what they needed to know and how they needed to react. And so all of those things really started to form into to when you're teaching and when you're training people, there's a a normalcy in how we deliver material, but we're not considering our audience. If you talk to a behavioral analyst in the FBI, which many people see kind of a, a smidgen of it on TV shows now, but they understand that depending upon how you answer, I'm going to shift the conversation a little bit. I'm going to shift the focus. I'm going to 
I'm going to get you to respond to what you're not even thinking about responding to. Well, that's what we do in teaching. If we're good, we're going to get you excited and interested in the subject matter. If we're training you, we're going to get you excited about the product that we're, or the widget that we're using in our company. We're going to get you to move forward and take that out in a positive aspect. So it really kind of tied together. The other thing that I did was I did a postdoctoral master's in uh, legal studies. And that tied so nicely together with the Citizens Academy because I learned the law and I understood suddenly how to read a newspaper differently, how to understand what I term a surface level distinction of things that are going on, whether it's crime, again, in the technology field, spamming, all of these things, hacking that's come on, all of that really came together with starting to understand how the legal aspect of it is and how the FBI deals with those issues. And so all of that, I think, really made me understand more so the protection and the security that we had to do for our people as much as training them. We have someone in our online area. We have a responsibility to take care of them when they're in that course, not just for their learning aspect, but also for their social aspect and also that they're not being taken advantage of from an outside entity. And so that all of that has wrapped together so nicely in my career, but also the world has caught up now and we see security issues and data breaches and such. And it really just makes you think more about what it is that you have to do to protect your clients, to protect your customers, to protect your students. Has that process or that thinking approach made you more forward thinking in general? So really thinking about what you haven't even had to deal with yet, but what might be coming? Absolutely. I'm always someone who is looking out forward because technology grows so very quickly and the ed tech space has gone from zero to a hundred plus in a very short time. And when you couple that with, we used to have a very uh, segmented area. There were those who had technology and those who didn't. We had business technology, and we had personal technology. You know, if you think back to the days of you bought personal software and you bought business software, and all of that is, is becoming gray now. Now you're just buying something, it's available to everyone. Software that used to only be used to someone in a specific industry is now available to everyone. So with that crossing of access becomes responsibility and security issues. And so for me, it's always looking at where do we go next? How do we do this better? I spend a lot of time looking at artificial intelligence right now because I think as we smart home ourselves and our phones do more and everything in your house now talks to you, there's a risk in that. There's obviously lovely benefits to it, but there's a risk in it. But there's also untapped areas yet. You know, when you think about it, you buy an Echo or you buy Alexa, you're using 10% of it. You buy a smartphone, you're using maybe 20% of it. You really aren't using it to full capacity for most people. So what is that full capacity? And what are the concerns in moving to that directive? Circling back to what we're talking about with the COVID-19 crisis, one of the things is everyone's concerned about bandwidth. We don't know what we don't know. We assume we're going to have enough bandwidth for everyone, and we may at the onset, but once it goes into an institution, they may not have a band enough bandwidth for everybody to be on at once, they, or they may be able to be on but not watch video. They may only have audio. I mean, we don't know because we haven't tested it. So my question is, what are we going to do beyond this when 
everyone doesn't get off of the systems when we return to a, what we call, you know, a normal venue, because all of a sudden people are going to like the things they didn't know about before and didn't know how to use. So for me, it's okay, where does artificial intelligence step into this? And where do we have fluctuation and availability to scale all of these areas? So I'm always thinking about these things and looking at what's next on the horizon, because I think in order for us to keep moving forward, we've got to have some idea of what's going to support us. So let's talk a little bit about like some of your clients, some of your smaller clients, right? Because Mm -hmm. like we mentioned earlier, your clients are oftentimes you're connecting the smaller, whether it's smaller by budget or size or whatever, to the bigger companies or other opportunities they may not even know about and letting them know. So can you give an example of someone who may be small, whether it's an education institute or anybody that you work with, what you recommend they make sure they have as a minimum so that they can kind of be forward thinking rather than reactive. I mean, your example of personal computing and business computing, I'm thinking, I remember those days. Yeah, we were segregated. They didn't even put the software next to each other. It was like we couldn't go into the other area. Um, It's always interesting to me. So my clients may be a small startup, maybe an entrepreneur who has their own office, maybe just getting started with contract employees. I can work with uh, small private universities that maybe have less than 10,000 students. I have one client that has less than 5,000 students. I have some training, corporate training clients clients who are within a large conglomerate, but they're just one little offshoot that maybe has 50, 100 employees that they have responsibility for training and and the semantics that go along with that. So regardless of who any of those are, the, the bottom line is, is that they have to understand what do they already own and have and where do they want to be and what's the timeline? So a good example of that is I have a new startup who's so new, they're not even out in the marketplace in the U.S. yet. So the question is, do they even want to come into the U.S.? Does that benefit them? Does it not benefit them? And if it does, what does that take to come in? And once you look at what the best case scenario is, so what does coming in mean? Do you want to work with small schools, large schools, K through 12, companies? Who's your target audience? Once you identify that, are you looking across the the board all at once? Or are you thinking of starting region by region? Is this a one-year, two-year, three-year timeline? Once we get all of those things figured out, then we step back. So we always begin with the end in mind. So in a perfect world, you know, if we waved our magic wand, tomorrow we want to be across the U.S. and we want to be with at least 15 institutions or companies and we want to be making X amount of dollars. Okay, so what is it going to take to get there? And we start to back out, obviously, budgetary, staffing, but then what's your infrastructure? How do you do that? And what do you currently have? You know, do you have enough infrastructure to support that? Or how are you going to scale it if you don't? And we start really getting down into the weeds talking about what is that going to take and what kind of specialization staffing wise are you going to need? Everyone hires an IT person assuming that they can do everything across the board. And yet you wouldn't go and get your haircut at a mechanic shop because you're looking for the specialty and the expertise. It's the same thing. IT people have different levels of expertise in different areas. So I try to work them through what is it that you're really wanting to end up with and then how do we get you there? So I think it's always important. People have to begin with the end in mind. They have to get 
their idea really structured and laid out. What I find is most of us, which is just by training and by life, is we start with an idea and we try to push the idea forward. And so we're constantly hitting a roadblock. Oh, I didn't realize I'd need a second server. Oh, I didn't realize I don't have enough bandwidth. Oh, I have a, a router that's 10 years old and it's not supporting me. Well, all of those things are costing you time and money. And there's already somebody else who's left the gate who's surpassing you, offering the same product or the same idea, the same concept, service. So beginning by the end in mind, you can backtrack and figure out exactly what you need. And then you can also start goal setting for accomplishing those things and really moving forward to get where you want to be within that timeline that you've structured. Wow. So I can hear your strategic planning expertise come right out in that. <laughs> Sister and strategic planning. Um, <laughs> you know, that, it's just fun to me. It's, it's it not fun. even a strategic plan. It's, it's a puzzle. It is, but that like being clear and then backing in and thinking about all those things. No, it is fun. But I will tell you, not everybody agrees that that's a fun thing to do. I know, I know. And that's okay. There are things in the world that I don't enjoy doing and I am happy to pay someone to do them for me. And I do. (laughs) And I do. So, you know, you gave a very generous offer to me, an email that we could put out to folks. And I'm wondering if you could talk about the bonus that you're willing to offer folks as who have been on this call or this, not the call, but the podcast and want to know more or at least connect with you further on it. Absolutely. So I normally do 20-minute consults to try to orient people and determine if we're a good fit. I am all about being a good fit. If I can't do something for you or I feel like you and I aren't making a connection, I'm not going to waste your time and I'm certainly not going to waste your money hiring me to really just have a, a rigid relationship. Part of what what I really focus on and my team focuses on is having that relationship. And so for this, uh, what I'd like to do is offer everybody a 30 minute call to talk about, you know, what are their goals and aspirations? What are they wanting to do? Again, are they an entrepreneur? Are they trying to be? Are they a woman in technology? Are they just wanting coaching, a specific one-on-one coaching because they're feeling kind of stuck in their role or they're ready to take the next challenge and, and can't figure out quite how to get there? My strategy goes across the board. If you're looking for a job and you're really looking to up your career in the ed tech field, then let's begin with that end in mind and work backwards and figure out what you need. So that 30 minutes gives us a chance to talk through what it is that the individual is looking for, what they'd like to do, and then we go from there. Is it a relationship that we're going to build and we want to put together a contract? Is it something that they want to think about and come back to? We do a lot of connectivity with our affiliates. And so maybe you come to me and say, I just really need something that I can talk with all my staff members who live all over the world, but I I don't want to just use like a text method. You know, I want to be able to see them. I want to be able to do things. We have affiliates that have great software, great opportunities for those kinds of things. And we warm connect you to them. We don't sell for them, but we want to you to know that we've tested all of them. We know what's good and what's out there and we want to help you be more successful. So the 30 minutes really gives them an opportunity to talk with me and just kind of see what it is that they want to do and go forward. And I'm happy to work with them and see if we can figure out that there's something we can do for them. I'm also happy to refer them if there's somebody that I think would be a better fit. What's great about that in 30 minutes, you know, Someone is going to figure out how clear they are on where they want to be based on that conversation with you and whether they choose to do something immediately or later, just getting that clarity 
Yes. No, it's great. Plus also when you refer, I love those warm handoffs because when I say, you know, I'm following up share connected us, people go, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm protecting my relationship with share because we have a long time relationship. Right. So I just think those are, that's a really generous and powerful offer share. So thank you for offering that. And do folks just go to your website? What's the best way for them to connect with you on that offer? Our website is Downing EdTech. Dot com. We have a contact us page on there. Just fill that out and send it in and we get you processed and, and reached out to. Usually I say within 48 hours, it's normally quite quicker than that. But the last two weeks have been a little crazy. So they build up a little bit sometimes, but I'm happy to set up a Zoom call, just a phone call. I've had people just email back and forth. They're not really into the technology, which is always ironic because they're in ed tech, but they don't really want to utilize it. But I don't question, whatever makes you the most comfortable. It's whatever works for you. And I recognize that sometimes you're in a place where you can't be on a verbal call. And so it is easier just to text back and forth. And I'm fine with that. But, you know, I invite everyone to also look through the website. It may spur something they haven't thought of either. We're constantly adding to it. I'm actually this afternoon adding a page with quick tips for kind of a follow-up to the recording I did this morning. I really feel it's important to give back right now. I think we're all in this together. It's not about a monetary value on it. It's about a sense of community and really just making sure that everyone gets through this crisis in the short term. And that is why I think there's opportunity in this crisis because I'm hearing more and more people say something like that and genuinely mean it. You know, sometimes things uh, step in front of us for a reason. And I like to think that as horrible as this is and as, as unfortunate as it is, I think it's, it's forcing us to slow down and think about it. And one of the things I will invite people to check on too is we'll have a list up of ideas. I tell people, make your list now. What are all the things that you want to do or you'd like to do if you could stay home? Because when the time comes and you do need to stay home, you need to be able to not be anxious, but just to look at that list and go, oh yeah, I was going to do that and just kind of help guide you along when the hours get long. Cher, thank you so much for being a guest on the No Labels, No Limits podcast. I definitely will be following up with you because I have questions. So, and I invite <laughs> all the listeners to do that. I have enjoyed my time with you today and I just feel lucky to know that we're in the same universe. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it as well. And I hope to hear from some of your listeners. If not, I hope that they at least have something for their toolkit. All right. You've been listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author, change agent, and strategic vision coach, Sarah Box. You can grab the show notes and find out how to work with Sarah at sarahbox.com forward slash no labels, no limits podcast. We'd love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. So please remember to rate, leave a five-star review and share the podcast with someone you think would get value from this conversation. Until next time, keep taking those daily action steps to align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life.